What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Bitcoin! Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of this very fun collaboration series between FWB and On The Ledger. Uh, Today, we had the pleasure of talking to Charlie Cohen of Restless, and we talked about tons of things, Um, you know, from, I guess she like sailed from New Zealand or to New Zealand when she was a a kid. And that's when she started getting obsessed with design and then all the way through to lots of really interesting topics around digital fashion. Charlie is somebody who is literally living in the future. Um, so I, that, that is ex- exactly what we talked about. If you, if you're curious about um, a, a bridge between physical fashion, video games, and Web three, then you're gonna like this interview. Let's get into it. Another week and another podcast in this collaboration between Ledger and FWB. Thank you very much for for joining me with it. And thank you, Charlie, for joining us to today's show. Charlie is the founder of Restless, and we're going to hear all about that and Charlie's journey today. Zoe, do you want to kick us off with the um, all-important, very special first question? Yeah, the very special first question uh, that we ask everyone, very important, is uh, what was your first concert you ever saw and what is the most recent concert you went to this is the best question ever um so the first concert actually is kind of a badass one it was white stripes um on the seven nation army tour um and sorry then the best one was that the, the oh no the most recent those, the most recent one but best is um, also like best best game. also valid. it's allowed yeah um so best one um probably the first time I saw The Cure, which was at Hammersmith Apollo, um, and it was their anniversary tour, and it was like a four-hour set and just completely insane. Um, the By the way, I saw the, I saw The Cure recently, and like Robert Smith sounds Wait, did you go to so... Madison Square Gardens? No, I was saw it oh. here in Paris at Bercy oh, Arena, and nice. it was – he sounds better than ever. I mean, unreal. Absolutely unreal. unreal. I'm going to go and see him again at uh, Corona Capital in Mexico at the end of this year with Pet Shop Boys, which should be sick. Um, most recent concert. Um, oh, that is a good question. Um, I was at Download Fest, so uh, Metallica. There you go. And, and Download is is the one that's out in the park that I ran in a couple of weeks ago. Is oh, that right? in like Donington Park. I guess I was out by Chiseled Park, but then we we ran on another place. It, oh, it so doesn't this matter. Is, this, is, right? this is in the Midlands. Um, oh, okay, okay. I think I think it, yeah, it was wireless. There's download oh, okay. and there's wireless. Like yeah, what, wireless. what's that about? Like that's. I mean, we have no shortage of festivals here. In let's the start upload festival. <laughs> upload festival. Yeah, why well, hasn't that one been? Done yeah, let's yet? do it. All right, let's jump. Let's jump into it. You know, Charlie, you I, you know, I don't know many people who started a fashion brand when they were 15 and are many years later still piloting that brand. So uh, who are you? How did you get here? What are you up to? Um, so I guess like, you know, many young girls have this, like I'm going to be a fashion designer dream. So I came to that after uh, the first 
sort of few years of my childhood wanting to be a vet realized I'd have to deal with animals dying and it's like okay fashion design is the next logical choice um and I just kind of ran with it so I had slightly unconventional upbringing that included uh two years sailing from the UK to New Zealand uh from when I was 13 to 15 um so during that time like in the periods that we were at sea which could be like up to four weeks at a time um, I'd have a lot of spare um time on my hands um and would just be um either like designing writing songwriting um and I you know got more and more into designing clothes and also uh, kind of business planning and I had all of these ideas like okay what am I going to do once I get to like dry land for a consistent amount of time because we were you know sending to New Zealand to move there I know I'd be there for at least the following kind of three years finishing school um, and just decided that's what I wanted to do when I got there and I wanted to really learn the ropes of what it meant to run a brand and run a business because I had a good sense even at 13 that designing would be a very small portion of it um and I'm you know somebody that really learns by doing um so that's what I did when we arrived and um I think the benefit of being in New Zealand as well you kind of have a small more supportive community so being able to get pieces into local stores was a little bit easier um and also a little bit closer to um, Asia for like setting up a supply chain Um, so we kind of started off just by customizing t-shirts and selling those into local stores and then I went out when I was 17 um, to Vietnam um, to sort of set up production for something a little bit more advanced um, and continued that for another year and then I went to do my formal fashion design training in London um, realized it would not be possible to run a fashion brand at the same time as doing the degree because it was just both things were so intense Um, so I put it on pause um, ended up at a very different end of the spectrum um, doing uh, online personal training and nutrition consulting because I was really into fitness as well um through that got very heavily into social media was like an early fitness influencer which is quite cringe now but gave me like a good insight into how to to market a brand by the time I came to launch I guess the the, you know the most recent iteration of the Charlie Cohen brand in um in 2012 so ended up piling all of those different learnings in um and kind of from the get-go with launching uh, Charlie Cohen which I did off the back of my graduate collection really um, just put a lot of uh, time and resource into building out online community, online storytelling, um, and just valuing that as highly as the actual product itself. Okay, that there's there's so much in there because I didn't know about the boat trip to New Zealand. I didn't I didn't know about the fitness influencer part, but I'm going to put those aside because we only have a limited amount of time, and there's there's a there's a bunch about building a brand today that I want to you know, be sure to, to cover. So I guess, I guess what I'm curious to, to hear about is, is kind of, you know, you, you mentioned like that when you came back into a brand, you had this social media experience. So how do you kind of divide up the work now between designing, um, the, 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 for the brand and then, um, you know, doing the other parts of it because you, you have, you know, really you're building a world, inside of an app and, you know, scarce digital goods and collaborations with, you know, AI artists. And I'm, I'm giving away a bit of the plot here, but, but maybe you could use that as a vehicle to say, okay, it, it, it started as 
a clothing brand, but it's evolved in, into something else. So, so what is it? If you could just describe for the audience, like what products have you sold? Um, you know, t tell us, tell us about the brand. So the Charlie Cohen brands, um, it's sort of evolved from being a like technical performance wear brand, um, into, uh, something where we were doing a lot of video game collaborations. Um, and kind of through that, we started really exploring this like physical digital crossover, started creating game skins, started creating AR and VR experiences. Um, how does that so, happen? How do you move from kind of an activewear brand to a, a brand that's collaborating with video games? So the aesthetic of the brand was very much kind of influenced by video games. It's very like sort of Tokyo street style. So um, it, you know, it veered into that um, kind of uh, like darkwear, Rick Owens kind of vibe, but with tech fabrics. Um, and I think it was just, it was very natural to want to explore more around um you know how we could build narrative tell stories um this kind of concept of suiting up which like it makes sense for performance wear. it also made sense for like video game characters and you know being like the hero within an rpg um and the first big collaboration we did was with uh, assassin's creed valhalla which was like a really good aesthetic fit um and it just really, that was at the beginning of the pandemic and it really kind of grew very quickly from there uh, because timing wise, it was really perfectly positioned uh, for this like very rapid acceleration into digital identity, digital retail experiences, digital fashion. Um, and so I guess over two years, we had this very rapid transition from the Charlie Cohen brand being primarily physical first to primarily digital first. Um, and in 2020, it just started to escalate with these big collaborations we were getting. Um, I was trying to find some kind of solution for digital interoperability because I wanted people to be able to take this identity anywhere. Um, and that was how I ended up going down the Web3 NFT rabbit hole. It felt like there was some viable tech solution in there. Um, and, you know, it became kind of clear that there wasn't everyone was talking about interop uh, no one really had a good solution for it um, and I decided that where I could or like my sort of vision for digital identity where I could have the most value was kind of switching focus from brands to infrastructure um, and we started building Restless um, which you know carried a lot of the um, the the vision and the aesthetic and the humor of the brand into it but was much more focused on how can we build a platform that would allow other creators and designers to build their own brands um and to be able to manage this interop issue for everyone um so what we're doing now with restless um is providing uh ugc tooling um that allows artists, uh, whether they're 2D or 3D artists, to easily be able to build brands um, and collections of garments that can go into different video games, go into different um, like virtual social environments, and that can also have physical redeemables. Um, so, you know, every aspect of how you would represent your identity through fashion is, is covered. Um, and we've been spending this year collaborating with really amazing artist in the web3 space like claire silver you alluded to um and uh gremlin was the, the first one that we did earlier this year um and just ramping up to the end of the year where we'll start to open up the platform so that 
a lot more artists are able to come in and start using this toolkit. Got it. So um, let me summarize. You tell me if I if I have it right. You you really you started with the Charlie Cohen brand, and it was a fashion brand, um, kind of an activewear brand, um, but with with a with a darkness. Um, and, <laughs> Dark and that, overtones. And that um, and that you know and then and, that, and then you followed a path into kind of uh, digital, which is I mean I think it's interesting that you just sort of casually say that the the brand went from being physical first to digital first because. You know, and, and you really did that sort of in a pre-NFT context that was that was kind of video game focused. I think that alone is is interesting, and I, I wanted to to pause on it only because I think a lot of people think about um, you know NFT sort of things as this cash in that happened in 2021. But y- you've been sort of like following a um, you know a, a digital wearable uh, you know path for 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 longer than that. Um, but then, you know, you wanted to, to, to turn that into more of a platform that, that others could use. You've built the first proof of concepts on that, um, one with Gremlin, uh, one with Claire Silver as an artist. I'd love, you know, and, and then you're going to open that up. So I guess I'd love to hear now, how has it gone? You know, I mean, we're, we're at a, a, a really, um, you know, difficult time in the, in the NFT market. Um, and so I'm curious, like, what you've learned. Um, and then... Uh, also like when you say, uh, make it a platform, like who do you imagine will be using it and what will they be doing with it? So the drops have gone incredibly well, given the market, um, everything's sold out within 24 hours. Um, we've, you know, managed to sell through quite large collections as well. Um, have had pretty healthy secondaries and I think, you know, a lot of it, there are, di- there are a few different elements to it. Um, so, you know, one is that I have been able to come into the space with something of a background, a level of credibility. Um, I've done enough that it's fairly clear to people that I'm not just going to disappear, um, because there's just, there's just kind of too much, um, precedent now, um, for my involvement in the space. Um, I think the second piece is that is, you know, for the collectors who are, who are left in this market, who haven't jumped ship. Um, there's, you know, a lot of, uh, real, um, you know, integrity care about how web three decentralization, artist royalties, new creator economy develops. Um, and that's something that we're very, you know, proactively building to, uh, support and grow. Um, and then the other piece is, and I think this comes from, our experience with uh, working with video game industry. Um, we've put a lot into building out narrative and story and just creating uh, you know, an emotional connection to Restless, the characters and stories within Restless. Um, and then how we kind of combine that narrative with the different artists that um, we're bringing in. So those spin off in different storylines. Um, and, you know, we've, we've kind of introduced a, a sense of humor to that as well. You know, our lead character within the restless ecosystem is a crystal Pomeranian um, <laughs> that will kind of continue to be a, a central uh, <laughs> IP. So, you know, so when you say things, it's a platform for yeah. other artists, it's still within restless, within the storyline of restless overall. So the way that we see it, you know, right now we have this, um, you know, I guess more. Um, central storyline and then we want artists to take it in whatever direction they want so they can like fanfic it out um however they like so it's you know it's easier to build 
something that's you know recognizable memorable appealing um with some kind of core narrative um but yeah it's going to evolve and evolve and evolve over time and that's something that we'll hand over to the community of artists and the community of um actual like players who are wearing these skins in game as well to to take in the directions of their choosing um so you know in terms of who is ultimately going to be using the platform um initially um we're you know really seeing it as being a way for uh, you know, existing Web3 native digital artists to start building out new revenue streams, especially 2D artists um, that will be able to easily create you know, 3D rigged interoperable wearables um, without needing to have the 3D expertise. Um, but beyond that and um, more long term, it's really for this um, new generation coming up of creator players um, who have you know they already understand digital economy they've already been you know building and selling assets in in roblox et al um it's so natural for them um and it's uh you know it's prepping something that um you know facilitates more of that facilitates collaboration uh between those creators as well um and also facilitates collaboration between these independent creators and bigger brands and ips coming in um to just to kind of open up those opportunities yeah and i guess like one question that i have just as someone who has no experience with this kind of like in-game fashion and and all that kind of stuff like i guess what i am trying to imagine is what the current state of interoperability is um and so i wondered if you could describe that a little bit like can you actually take skins from one game to another right now and then like you know, how, what are you guys doing, you know, to work on that? Like kind of what's the future state or best future state you can imagine of that? So there's like a sliding scale of interop from like working with very web two environments through to fully web three. Um, so in the like web three open metaverse realm, it's very easy. There's a, a relatively small number of file types. Um, you can have each of those file types connected to the metadata of a single NFT. So when you log in with Wallet Connect to that environment, it pulls the right model. Um, where you're working with traditional games that don't have any kind of blockchain backing, um, you're working with token-gated unlockables. Um, so it's something where you mint an NFT, you can claim that unlockable once, and then the metadata shows like, okay, this has been claimed now. So for example, if you're taking assets into Roblox or UEFN, which is like Epic and Fortnite's um, new kind of UGC platform that they're opening up um, and so on. So that's kind of the way that we're managing it right now. You could have a version of your asset um, that's not a derivative because it's still connected to this parent NFT. Um, but ultimately, um, we are working towards having something as close as we can get to a single standard. I think it's unlikely that there will be just be kind of one single standard, but there'll be something that a majority of games and spaces end up using. Um, it's something that the traditional gaming industry from the conversations we've had kind of understand there's a need for as well. Um, I think what we'll see with traditional games is, um, you know, there, there are only certain 
games that exist right now, big open worlds, where it would make sense for them to actually integrate with blockchain and introduce NFTs. Generally speaking, it's going to be down to these big developers building purely Web3 native IP from the ground up. Um, and that's where more interoperability will be introduced. Um, so I guess short answer is that there's a slightly convoluted way of working around it right now. Um, and over the next you know, five plus years, uh, we'll start to see a lot more optimization of that. And it's something that we're kind of very proactively working on building. Do you think that there's been kind of a moment um, with what's been announced recently between Nike and, and game developers where there's there's you're starting to see a bit of a tipping point or or am I misreading that? No, I think definitely. I think there are um, a few um, sort of catalysts happening at the moment. Um, that is one of them. Um, the uh, so with Roblox, the introduction of Limiteds, which is their basically their their version of an NFT as well, where you have um, you know one of ones or super small limited editions that include secondary royalties for creators. Um, so that's kind of setting a, a slightly new precedent. Um, and then uh, Epic, Fortnite, um, opening up UEFN as well um, is going to create uh, a lot more opportunity for bringing in external assets from other places into Epic's ecosystem. Um, so there's there's a lot happening at once that um, is opening doors and uh, even in even in maybe a questionable market, there's a there there are dominoes that are falling over. Yeah, and dominoes that are falling over and dominoes that are falling over um, in relation to the actual like utility of assets beyond the like speculative investment. Well, that, that's definitely, um, you know, what I what I feel is, you know, if, I, if you look at what LV did recently, their usage of a soulbound token, if you look at the kind of closed environment that Nike's built with Swoosh, I think they're really trying to avoid the speculative trap um which which feels and, and and how has that been for you i think you know when i think about it you're describing two completely separate audiences you know one is gamers and one is nft collectors and with restless you know um gremlin claire silver these are you know seem more aimed at nft collectors for me like how do you see yourself you know bridging those audiences is it possible to play to both of them like i, I don't i don't i'm not i'm not sure so i think there there is like a little bit of a venn diagram um, and the reason that we chose to work with Gremlin and Claire is because they, so like Gremlin, for example, is one of the like founders of the CC0 movement within the NFT space. That brings with it a certain mindset of collector. And again, it's kind of thinking about, you know, people who care about infrastructure, decentralization, how this moves forward. Um, so it's, you know, there are flippers, but there are also um collectors who are just generally more invested in in the growth of the space um and then with claire uh within her community there are a lot of creators um and again like you know it's the creators that we want to obviously bring in to be using and publishing through the ugc platform um so there is overlap there um there's also quite a lot of overlap with as we've discovered with this diablo collaboration that we've just done uh we realized how much of our core restless community are like hardcore gamers and there's been so much streaming of diablo in our discord <laughs> um so so there is again that kind of crossover of uh, gamer and collector as well um but yes we are kind of approaching these um you know largely two different audiences in two different ways um and the I guess more traditional or currently like not web three native audience, um, especially 
within the gaming industry are very turned off by any mention of NFTs, any Web3 jargon and so on. So that the way we speak to them um, and the way that we kind of create the narrative has to be very, very abstracted away from blockchain. Um, whereas, you know, the opposite is true where we're, where we're you know, uh, approaching a Web3 native collector audience where it's like, oh, we're using this new token standard and we're doing all these cool new things with the, um, you know, the, the tech and protocols available and so on. Um, so we'll have the collaborations where it makes sense for us to be uh, promoting to both parties. We'll have two very different narratives. Um, but we also work with different collaborators targeted towards different groups. So with Diablo, we that collaboration was about speaking to a non-Web3 audience. Um, and it's why it was a, a physical first collaboration um, where, again, soulbound token. Um, and once you activate that, you get various token gated assets via the token. So it's more of an onboarding type collaboration versus working with Gremlin, which is obviously like super targeted at a Web3 native collector. I'm really curious if you could try to explain to our audience where you think things are right now. Like where is the opportunity today? And the reason I ask this is I think like you, like you said a moment ago, you can see where this goes five years from now. Um, you're way early, you know, and you're pioneering. You're trying to you know, bridge these worlds that don't like each other with technology of interoperability that doesn't exist yet. You know, like you're literally um, a pioneer in the the true sense of the word. And you've kind of always been that way, right? Going, if you go back, you know, uh, you know, pre this. So I'm, I'm curious, are you feeling that you are serving an audience which is here today or are you building for an audience that you believe is coming? Both. Um, so I think, you know, the opportunity right now is building bridges um, as, you know, as more streamlined, more optimized infrastructure gets built. How do we start, you know, how do we start the work now? How do we start the work of onboarding now? Um, how do we cultivate trust, um, you know, of Web3 for these new audiences? Um, so that's, you know, again, like the way we're thinking about interoperability is like, okay, what's the, um, you know, the slightly more complex way we can do it now, but still do it to build trust, prove it out, build community, um, be known as things progress as this kind of, you know, foundational company, um, in, you know, in digital identity in interoperability. Um, and I think, you know, it's very difficult to be able to sustain a company in Web3 that is just building for a future audience. Um, you have to find the, you know, you have to find the ways that you can also um, speak to an existing audience, even if it is, you know, even if it's a slight deviation from the long-term vision. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that um, I really learned through the Charlie Cohen brand is that there are all these dots that kind of join up in the end um, even if things like you know why would it make any sense to have this experience of like building a like fitness nutrition business alongside building a fashion brand and those things ended up you know working together and I had like a kind of very like 
rough idea of how these things could eventually join up. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't advise, um, you know, having like 40 different irons in the fire, but you can approach things in a few different ways that will kind of eventually join up down the line. And I wonder when we're talking a little bit about like digital identity and what what Web3 can do to kind of augment and facilitate that, like you're tackling a specific aspect right now with kind of wearables and, and fashion, but what do you see are kind of the other things that are going to go into that, into like forming people's digital identity kind of on chain and, and, you know, what other parts of that are you thinking about right now? Um, I mean, so we're, I guess, you know, there are, there are so many parts to it. There's the like very like official part of how we streamline our actual, you know, official identity passports and everything else moving on chain. Um, but in terms of our like emotional, spiritual identity, um, you know, it's all about how we can connect with other people if we're socializing majority in a virtual space. So how are you able to like very quickly signal or showcase to somebody else like the subculture you're involved in, what your interests are, what sort of person you are. Like right now we have a Twitter PFP that's supposed to do all that. Um, we'll kind of be like progressively moving into avatar-based social spaces where there's more options. And, you know, the reason that I've focused in on wearables is kind of, it's kind of the easiest way. Um, you know, I know in the physical world, if I am walking down the street in a band t-shirt, there's a possibility that I'm going to strike up a conversation with another fan of that band. It's kind of, you know, similar concept in metaverse environments. Um, so yeah, think, thinking of like, okay, as we, what does identity look like in these virtual spaces right now it's 2d. Um, what's it going to look like when it's 3d, how many different alter egos are we going to have? Um, you have generations that approach this completely differently. So if you look at like millennials and Gen Z, generally the way that we operate in virtual spaces is kind of some um, version of our physical selves. Um, like we'll we'll choose like PFPs from projects that like share physical traits often. Um, whereas Gen A approach it in a completely different way um, where like their alter ego could be anything. They can explore all of these different facets of their identity um, in a much more anonymous way. Um, so when we're thinking about identity, then it's like, okay, um, you have an audience who are going to want to have this very consistent identity and an audience who are going to want the opportunity to explore all these different versions of themselves. Um, how do we provide tools for both of them to do that? It's like this is this is more of like a kind of discussion around your question. I don't think there's like a clear answer to it because it's all evolving right now. Um, but I think what we're going to see with this um, generational split um, and what they will kind of need or demand from what digital identity looks like is going to be kind of different. Give it, give your, our listeners like a sense of how they would jump into the world of Restless, right? Is this the kind of you know because I think you've approached this uniquely in terms of, you know, not just, you know, releasing assets and, you know, having people come to OpenSea and buy them, but, you know, you have an app, you've built a world. How much of that is reliant on me being, you know, as a, as a, as a kind of a, 
a participant, you know, active in the discord, you know, what, what, what's the, what's the entry point for people? What are the, how do they participate? Um, so it's, I guess it's up to the individual, right? We have, we have, um, people who come in just for the drops. We have people who are in the discord every day, um, as the platform builds out the platform itself, um, will allow you to create in a social setting. So you can kind of co-create with other people. Um, so the rest of the platform itself will have like, you know, chat windows. You can see who else is creating on the platform. You can interact with the community there. Um, so it's, I guess, you know, as, as the product, uh, is built and evolves, especially over the next 12 months, um, there'll be lots of different entry points right now. Um, the core community live in the discord, um, a little bit on Twitter. Um, a good introduction to the restless world is the website, um, uh, which is a very, um, it's a very kind of immersive experience that takes you into the narrative of restless as well as explaining what it's about. So that's restless.xyz. Um, and that's also where, you know, ultimately the platform will live when it launches. Um, but yeah, right now, um, Twitter and discord is where most of the conversation is happening. Um, it's where all the like uh, alpha on upcoming drops and timeline and roadmap is happening. Um, but yeah, over the next 12 months or so, um, the hub will move more towards the platform um, than being within these sort of social media right. platforms. That makes sense. I mean, I think, you know, what's, what's interesting to me, um, Zoe and I had a conversation with uh, Brice Partouche from Satisfy Running, and, you know, he's been building a, a running clothes brand over the past eight years. And I think that one of the main takeaways from that is that, you know, building a strong brand takes a long time and a lot of patience. Um, and I, what I see is you're building you know, this, this brand, which is, you know, quite all encompassing and, and that it's like both digital and physical, it's about your creativity and also the creativity of the creators who come onto the platform. It, it, it feels like it'll take time for people to get their head around it. Um, and then also for just takes time for brands to have a lot of meaning and culture, right? It has to, it takes years for that to spread culturally. So, I mean, how, how do you think about, you know, doing all of those things at once, you know, as a startup and an entrepreneur? Well, I guess, you know, I'm coming into it with the advantage of having built the Charlie Cohen brand over a decade. And that's why we've been able to get, you know, like great partners involved. It's why we can have these conversations with um, like big game developers and, and so on. Um, so there's, you know, a part of the work that has been done over a very long period of time. Um, I think the, you know, that that's the hardest bit as well, like building the, like the brand resonance and the brand culture. Um, so taking that and me continuing to be the face of Restless um, is for, for now very important um, just to, you know, give us a little bit of a shortcut as we build out Restless as this, as this new startup um i think you know it's how we're prioritizing right now is building the actual tech but finding ways as we build to be able to uh you know to, to actually test the product um in a way that's building community so the drops that we've been doing through this year um 
they've been enabling us to test the UGC tooling as we're building them, test all of the royalties infrastructure and everything else whilst building community, whilst building these new relationships. But it's all um, kind of optimized towards building this final product. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's, with any startup, it's like you just have to be really, really smart with any resources that you're using. It's like, okay, how can I get like four or five times as much out of this one job that I need to do? Um, and that the way that you do that is going to really vary from from business to business. Um, but this this is like for wrestlers specifically, this is how we're trying to avoid a, a cold start for the actual launch of the UGC platform uh, by doing these drops in the run up to it. Got it. And you know, we you you mentioned um, you know the concept or the topics of royalty and sharing and ownership i mean the this this series is about creative custody so wh where do you see this going and how does that play into restless so you know uh, being able to have you know the level of control of your choice and also being able to you know in perpetuity earn royalties as a creator is really important um so you know the way that we're thinking about it with restless is you know once you have an asset on the platform whether that's like a garment silhouette whether that's like graphics applications for the silhouette however much that gets um like updated remixed and so on into the future you will continue to earn the like residual royalty as a percentage of how much your artwork is involved in this final asset so like all of the restless assets your wearable is going to have multiple stakeholders involved in it there's the, you know, say the creator of the base garment, um, the artist of any graphics fabrics that you're applying to that, um, the environments that uh, there's a model of that particular design for, they're all stakeholders um, that need to be remunerated with royalties. Um, so yeah, that's like, that's kind of at the, at the core of everything. Um, that's the difference between you know, as a creator, why would you choose to create with Restless rather than within a siloed video game? Because you're probably not going to get secondary royalties or any kind of protection over your work once you've published into a, you know, into that particular video game. Um, and then ownership. I think ownership is a really important part of identity. I mean, even if you, you know, think about the difference between, you know, wearing something you own to an event versus renting something or borrowing something from a friend. Like it feels much more part of you and who you are when it's yours. Um, so it's kind of taking that, that, you know, that same psychology applying to digital assets and digital identity. Um, we're assuming that's going to carry over. And again, it's, it's why um, it's, you know, it's why we're building what we're building um, because that's, for something to really feel like it's, it's you, it should be yours. Wow. I, I, it feels like, um, you know, if you, if you pull that, that part off where you kind of prime the prompt, prime the pump, and then you get uh, creative people to come into the platform. I'm, I can't help, you know, given my background, but think of this as kind of record label versus, you know, artist record label distributor. Yeah, you know, I was sort just of... going to say, like, this feels very similar to, like, you know, how do you give the right music royalties to people on a in a DJ set, right? Uh, the problem. So I, I, it's it's so interesting to hear it extended 
to fashion because it shows you that it's just a pervasive problem, right? That Web3 is poised to to be able to solve, uh, you know, like how do you give collective ownership to people? How do you make sure people keep gaining value through remix culture? Like it is such a cool, it's a, it's a really, really cool application of, of, of all of this. And it's just fun to see like kind of how it transcends all of these different verticals within kind of personality and culture and, and all of that kind of stuff. It's like very exciting to, to think through that. And that, that's exactly, you know, the theme for me is that, you know, once you move into the digital realm, a, a lot of these boundaries that were previously about distribution, you and I have talked about this before, Charlie, that, you know, the, that the distinction between music, art and fashion was really, you know, a distribution distinction, not an artistic one. Um, I think the other thing that, I mean, to be honest, like puzzles me about your model, and I'm really sh curious where you end up like kind of netting out with it because I also think it's one of the coolest parts. It, that's why I was thinking about record label as you were talking, because if you think about it, like, you know, many record labels themselves have an identity and then, you know, the, the creative people that, that are then on that platform, you know, they're there. It means something if, if, you know, it meant something when a band was on Motown and it actually meant, more than just oh it's on Motown it's actually no the songs might have been written by Barry Gordy and they were probably recorded you know in the studio with the house band right you know what I mean it actually you know meant more once upon a time and it feels to me like that's almost the model that you have because you're you're putting out these kind of creative rails in a way and then you're inviting people to come on those rails a because it gives them a platform but b because then it gives it gives them distribution and audience um yeah so. ex exactly exactly and your um and like that's kind of the beauty of remixing um you know you're creating something off the back of maybe one of your like hero artists and a piece of it still belongs to them um and you know that collaboration is enabled for as many times as that item gets like remixed and updated yeah super cool well i think you know we're we're coming closest to the end so we need to transition into the same the, the finishing questions and the last um the last uh question was actually a bit of a lead into this one and the question is what does creative custody mean to you um so i it is the i guess the assurance that when i have created something and put it out there um that I continue to be rewarded for it for as long as it retains value to other people. No, that makes, that makes tons of, tons of sense. I mean, I guess the other, I'm going to kind of um, reframe our, our second universal question today. Um, you know, what we've think, been thinking about is, you know, for creators and builders and entrepreneurs who are kind of trying to transition from, you know, a, a world of, kind of information and moving to a world of value is kind of how we've been, how we've been framing this, you know, what advice would you have? But then I guess to me, I would say, you know, for you, it might be more relevant to say, you know, if you're living in a world of kind of physical and transitioning into a world of digital, you know, how do you kind of suggest people start wrapping their head around that new dichotomy or transitioning into that space? I don't think it's new. Um, I mean, when, so, you know, we're talking about like this, um, 
you know, moving into moving from the physical sphere into the digital sphere. When I started this first fashion brand when I was 15, um, the lookbook was on MySpace. I did all of my initial sales through forums. It's, you know, everything has been this crossover between physical and digital for a really long time. Um, any, I like bring up this example all the time, but like, you know, anytime that you've used an Instagram or a snap filter, you have engaged with digital fashion. Um, there's already such blurred lines. Um, and I think, you know, the last piece um, and the, the thing that most people associate with um, digital identity is 3D avatar based environments. Um, but that's coming at the end of what has already been a you know 20 year transition into this blurred physical digital identity and what's something you know if you if you look out as far as 15 or 20 years which i think is um you know completely valid i really feel like we're in this stage right now where it's like you know the early days of the internet where we got excited about the possibility and then we got faced with the reality of 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 building these businesses but but basically all of those ideas did come true it just took you know, 15, you know, to, to 20 or more years to get there. You mentioned earlier identity, which is one that I always use, or actually just kind of the, the basics of identity, your government ID being digital. You know, my belief is that, you know, 15 or 20 years from now, my government ID will be digital. And when that's the case, well, now pretty much everyone has, you know, digital assets and, and the means to manage and secure them. You know, what's something that, that you see that just seems absurd today, but, you know, 15 or 20 years from now will be standard? I think um, what, based on the fact that it's going to have to happen, um, is you know how we how we manage the processing of information. So like we're already in kind of like mental health crisis because of information overwhelm. We all have a second brain in our pocket via our smartphone where we store all of the information that we can't retain ourselves. Um, so I think that there's going to be a lot of development on how that storage and processing of information we have some kind of assist that's like very much it's kind of like you know i guess cybernetics but not i'm not imagining having necessarily like a chip or anything else but there's going to be something that you know something that is an in-between of where we have brain and smartphone um that is like facilitating this uh processing of information and storage of information Wow. What do you think it might be? <laughs> I, I have no idea. It's going to be the, the iPhone 94. Yeah. I mean, do you, and do you think that, that, that Apple is, is, um, I guess it's, you know, it's very relevant for what you're building. What do you, what do you think of Apple's, Apple's eyewear? Um, I, is it, I, is it a, a boon or, or wrong direction? No, I, th I think it's another, it's another catalyst. Um, I personally think that, AR and how AR can be used is much more exciting than VR. Like you can do incredibly cool stuff in, in VR, but um, the ability to, where we're talking about blurring the lines between physical and digital identity, where you have this augmented layer over the physical world, there's just so much more real world application. Um, so, you know, we're gonna be, it's gonna be very nascent the way that we experience it with this like first headset, like, okay, you can sit in a 360 video and so on. Um, you're not necessarily going to be like rocking around the street in your, um, in your headset. Um, but I think it's, it's going to be the, 
first of all, it's going to bring a lot more funding into developing for AR, because one of the issues we have with AR right now is that fidelity is still very poor. Uh, body tracking is still very poor. Um, so there needs to be, you know, still a lot more years um, and a lot more billions uh, going into the development of that. Um, and it's just going to start to make it more normal. Um, the idea of having um, hardware that you're using to blur this line between physical and digital. Perfect. Thank you very much. Charlie, it's always yeah, so great to see you. And I mean, to me, it's like always great to chat. <laughs> you have, it's, it's, so, it's so effortless uh, for you, but you are, I always say that living in the future is cheating because <laughs> when you're living in the future, you can see the future um, and you're definitely living in the future. So thanks for being with us. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.